Hey, welcome to this morning. It's good to see you. Good to be with together and gathered together again. This is, for those of you who are regular to Central Vineyard, you know we started the year a bit late. So we're four weeks behind schedule. Uh, so I'm going to even still say a few things this morning about the fact that we're starting the year. And you're like, D- it's March, Dan. I know it's March. Uh, my little girl turns one on Friday. Yeah. And my little boy was like, how long do I go to school? And I quickly did the maths and I was like, six months, oh, six months until you start school. Oh my goodness. So the, the, the year is flying by, but we started late. So um, hence the slight summer series vibe. Some of you might be thinking like it's not even summer anymore. Well, you know, imagine it's still early February, which was when all of this was intended to be said. All right. So here we are. Welcome to church this morning. Um, we are doing a little summer series And the summer series has been looking at um, four things. I've been trying to walk through four pieces. First thing that we we looked at was the fact that to follow Jesus is a matter of being attentional. Attentional. To follow requires attention. It is the currency that we have to deal in. So whenever we are following anything, whether that being following a friend as they lead us around the city and we follow their car, right through to following Jesus, It is our attention that is the crucial piece to success. So so to say we follow Jesus is to say we must be attentional to Jesus. Then we looked at the fact that if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to get used to the fact or we're going to have to desire the fact that God is in the business of renewing and restoring and redeeming and transforming. So therefore, we're going to have to get used to this transformational work that he will be doing with us, that God will be doing with us. Now, whether we um, you know, like that or don't, that's actually the work of God and that's the good thing. But for a lot of us, we actually have to sort of step into that and say, I'm up for it, God. Work, work in my life. Come on, do your work. Do your work in me. So we have to give God the permission and desire that. Then last week, last week we looked at the fact that to follow Jesus and if we're being transformed into Christ's image, then we will become missional. We'll we'll flow out into the city like light, as the scriptures we looked at last week. We looked at the fact that Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and then he said, and you are the light of the world. So we will become missional people. Our lives will be lived on display into the city, into our neighborhoods, into those places that you occupied all week long. So well done being missional all week. Well done being a missionary right where you are at as you join God and what he's doing and making all things new. Today... Last piece of the summer series, four weeks late. But last piece is I want to talk to you about the fact that to do all of these things, it's best if it's done communally. It's best done communally. We are becoming communal people when we join the body of Christ. And so today's talk is entitled Communal. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to today's text. Today we're going to look at, whoa, that's jumped three ahead. That's coming out. There we go. And uh, we're going to read from Mark chapter 3, verse 31 to 35. And I'm going to read the scripture twice. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. And then I'm going to read it from our new fancy message Bibles that we're giving you if you want one. Just go and help yourself. We love this book. We believe the story of the Bible will change your life. And so grab one. You are allowed to have one. We believe that it's the most important book to have in your possession. And so make sure you've got a Bible. Right, Mark chapter 3, 31 to 35. First in the New Living Translation and again in the message in a moment. So here we go. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and they sent word for him to come out and talk with them. 
there was a crowd sitting around Jesus. And someone said, your mother and your brother are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he looked at those around him and he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And just one more time, I'll read it again from the message so that there's just a little bit of language just shifted around here, just to freshen it up for you. Just then his mother and brothers showed up standing outside. They relayed a message that they wanted a word with him. He was surrounded by the crowd when he was given this message. Your mother and brothers and sisters are outside looking for you. And Jesus responded, who do you think are my mother and brothers? Looking around, taking in everyone seated around him, he said, right here, right in front of you, my mother, my brothers. Obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray together. Lord, would you take these words from your scriptures? Would you take these words from the teachings and the model of Jesus? Would you take these words and would you plant them in our hearts today? Lord, we, we ask that we would find our hearts to be soft, ready, malleable for your work today with us, we pray. Lord, would you plant something that would be a good fruit into our lives? Would you plant something that would be a good fruit into the world? By your spirit we ask these things. Amen. In 2018, the then UK Prime Minister Theresa May appointed Tracy Crouch a new and a world first political portfolio. This had never happened in politics before. She was appointed loneliness minister. So after a half century decline of social connections in groups and in clubs and in increased antisocial behaviors, the decline had only sped up faster in recent years as the internet replaced the real world. Reports were showing rising social anxieties and mental health issues were becoming common and far more pervasive. The recent arrival and rapid uptake of social media and smartphone messaging apps became a fast, cheap, and immediate form of connection into everyday life, as global communication networks saw people now engaging with each other on their phones as a baseline of being connected. And yet, despite living through the most globally connected moment of the world, people were becoming unknown and more alone than ever. So, the UK appointed an isolation minister to start to solve that problem. I was just reading uh, a little bit more online and other countries are starting to follow suit. In fact, just before COVID-19 would dominate our headlines, loneliness was set to become the world's great health battle. Uh, US Surgeon General Vivek Murthy said this, it is a, loneliness is a growing health epidemic. And he was citing a study which said that social isolation is associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And then came along the global pandemic. 
And that would disorder this mess even further. Because during a global pandemic with a virus that is passed to people by connection, we all then had to do a couple of things, didn't we? We had to socially distance. We had to get into our isolated bubbles. And this meant periods of being a church with no gatherings. This meant for all of us doing what you know, we normally do here together on Sunday wasn't happening. And there's a purpose to that. And it was a compassionate and right purpose. I do believe that. But, but what happened is in that time it grew weary, didn't it? That we were actually becoming less connected to each other in our socially distanced world, in our bubbles. It had an effect on us. And so for many of us, re-entry into this social life that we now have post-COVID has been a bit tentative. It has been a bit of a lived experience that um, isolation has taken a while to work out of our systems. Um, I remember when I went across to, I went to America last year for a trip and the opening moment of this conference I went to was a meet and greet with 600 pastors. And I'm in a meet and greet, which usually as an extrovert, I would thrive in and I'm shrinking into the corner. Because I'm like, I've lost my meet and greet chops. <laughs> like, I'm not confident in this space right now. And it was like a moment of just going, I'm not very good at this anymore. Something has changed in me over these last couple of years. It took a while to work out of our system, if it has at all. Some of us might still be living with a bit of a, a hangover still of the isolated world we've been growing up in these last couple of years. Now, over three years... A significant worldwide research project was conducted by the Barna Group. The Barna Group asked millennials, millennials are now those aged 21 to 38, so I just keep sneaking in just on the ceiling of that as it keeps moving up with me, and they asked them about their faith in this current cultural moment. And the research assessed that life in our current cultural moment was that like a digital Babylon, they concluded. That is, is that this digital age we are now growing up in is the greater culture that we are all living in. It is the greater power at work within our world. It is like this biblical picture of Babylon. Babylon being a, a, a culture that is set against the purposes of God. It's a human society set up to glorify people. It's power, prestige, and pleasure. And in our post-Christian secular age, disciples of Jesus and Christian communities are now like that Israel, Israel who was in Babylon, exiled to Babylon. We're not the social power. We are not the ones in charge. We are in someone else's powerful picture. And it's not a physical place. It's a digital one. It's the internet and the digital world that we live in. And it's being orchestrated by that thing in your pocket or in your hand, your smartphone or your laptop this world that we're living in online. And the church in this age is an exile within that world. Now, the re recipients of the survey over those three years, when, when they concluded it all together, here's how everyone landed. 38% of the millennials in the survey referred to themselves as prodigals. These are the deconverted people who have entirely walked away from the faith they once had as young people. 32% referred to themselves as nomads. Those are the ones who had fallen out of active engagement within their church. So yes, still have a faith, but I'm not anywhere at the moment. 22% referred to themselves as habitual churchgoers. Those were those who were going to church, but whose life didn't actually reflect the life of Jesus and his core beliefs of life on his way. And then 8%, 8% 
8% were able to refer to themselves as resilient disciples. These are those who richly experienced life with Jesus, who had forged meaningful relationships in his church. They developed cultural discernment and they're engaging in mission. Now that term resilient is really, really, really important. And David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock in the book Faith for Exiles reflect on this Barna research extensively and they ask what this current reality is doing for the emerging generation's view of relationships as they are formed in this digital world. Here's what they summarize. Number one, the emerging generation who are now growing up in digital Babylon are formed to fear commitment and place personal autonomy before belonging, relationships, and community. Number two, the social media age of digital Babylon advocates for having a great number of weak relational ties, a big network of people, at the expense of a few strong relational ties, a small group that you are deeply known to. Digital Babylon is forming the emerging generation in a high-performance culture that teaches to put things and achievements before people and community, valuing things and achievements above people and community. Digital Babylon erodes social capital, which is the fuel for healthy communities. And number five, the reflections, Digital Babylon's failing life script creates in us a lack of personal formation and poor emotional health, which undermines the building of meaningful community. These are the reflections on life and community in Digital Babylon. And as the authors summarize, they say this, those growing up in Digital Babylon are becoming more autonomous, less emotionally healthy, and the art of building community is being lost. This is perhaps why when someone sends you an invite to an event on Facebook, you click maybe. This is probably why you get to Wednesday night and it's your circle and you hum and ha as to whether you think it's actually important that you're there. This is why you might bail last minute on something you said you'd be at. You are literally being formed in our wider digital culture in such a way that you're starting to feel that you cannot handle showing up to things. We are being conditioned that it is normal to do life alone, autonomous, and the condition is winning. So people more and more are starting to live in their own personal bubbles. Uh, in the EU, the one-person household now outnumbers any other household type. And in Japan and Korea, it is rapidly trending in the same direction. So much so that you can now go to the furniture store and you can buy a one-person dinner table. And have you caught public transport lately? Everyone just has these things in their ears or these big cans on their ears, don't they? They're big, big headphones. Well, it turns out it's quite lucrative to get people in their own bubbles because the global headphone and earphone market was currently worth 22.3 billion US dollars per year with a current and continued growth of 7.9% worldwide. So keeping people in bubbles, listening to, to, listening to um, podcasts and Spotify is a very good business to be in at the moment. Now, when I was a teenager and I was in my parents' church, the entire church, nearly, the nearly the entire church 
went to a midweek Bible study and shared a midweek meal. They were called agape meals. Isn't that beautiful? Agape meals. And those who didn't do that in our church community were the minority. They were the minority. Now, in the current Western church, ours included, this community included, less than half are consistently engaged in a midweek small group of some kind. And that number is going down. This means the majority of people in Western churches are not practicing a form of being with other people in a committed way. But followers of Jesus, this is not how this is meant to be done. Our life is not lived bowing the knee to digital Babylon. We are not called to be alone in our personal bubble. Life is not meant to be done at a distance or with fear about belonging. In one of Jesus' great parables, not the one we've read today, but another one, he likens life in the kingdom of God to that like being at a banquet and a feast. A big table with lots of faces. Not one of those solo tables sold from, I don't know, Ikea in Japan. No, a big table. We are made for a space of belonging and meaningful relationships within the family of God. And our current cultural stage and season might be saying otherwise. Be autonomous. That is where the real power is. Jesus wants to flip that on its head. He wants to say, no, no, no. Being communal. Being communal is where best life is lived. Um, in a discussion on community, Dallas Willard said, I'm just going to try and get this to work. Dave, I'm going to have to abandon this and just click at you. Is that okay, buddy? So, Thank you. Um, in a discussion reflecting on community, Dallas Willard commented, to experience the kingdom of God, a group of people should get together and they should simply try to do the things that Jesus instructed his disciples to do. What does that mean? If I could rewrite Dallas Willard's little quote there, I'd simply say this. To experience the kingdom of God, we need some other people. We need to be communal. Come on. Thanks, Chris. If I was to ask you, what is community? If I was to ask that question, we've said this so many times in this church over the last several years. Like if I was to say that, a buzzword kind of comes up to the surface, doesn't it? But what would be your answer? Our way of defining community is often measured by a series of metrics around three things. Often this is what we hear when we start talking about community. Number one, it's people like us who are doing things like us in a place near us. Our community might be that trusted crew of mates. It might be those that we share interests with. So this is a community because it's a bunch of us focusing on Jesus together, therefore community. Or it might be a sports club or it might be an interest, I don't know, gaming or something like that. Or it's those we share a neighborhood with. It's those that we are living in proximity close to. Those are those in our community. But let's just take some time just to think about the scripture we heard earlier today from Jesus and the metric Jesus uses to define community as. Here in today's text, we see Jesus giving his answer on what community is. To Christ, community is the making of a whole new family. To Christ, community is the making of a whole new family. Jesus' picture of community is beyond his bloodline. 
It's beyond just some interests. It's beyond just those who are around him. It is this diverse people united in relational solidarity, committed to him and committed to practicing the things of the Father with him. It's a family living in the way of the kingdom. Jesus' followers around him with themselves on opposite sides of the social spectrum. You know, on one side of that group, you had the hardworking fishermen. And on the other side, you had the tax collector who probably took money from those hardworking fishermen. And then around the edges, you had women. And then you had the old Pharisees who were listening in, interested into what's going on. It's a diverse group of people around Jesus that day. And he turns to them and says, mother, brother, sister, It's you, all of you, as you come in obedience with God, with me. Jesus put together a new social structure saying, oh, you are all my family. And this is Christian life practiced at its best in family. Tom Wright, the theologian, says this in his book, uh, Simply Christian. He says, the early Christians did their best to live as an extended family. Caring for each other in the way in which, in that world, extended families did. They called each other brother and sister, and they really meant it. They lived and prayed and thought like that. Children of the same father, following the same older brother, sharing goods and resources where needs arose. And when they talked about love, that's the main thing they meant. Living as a single family, a mutually supporting community. The church must never forget that calling. It's all through the New Testament. Those who began practicing the way of Jesus joined this alternative family. And the story of the church of Acts and the following letters to the churches are a story of this new family in formation. They were sharing the journey in this new unit to navigate the world together. A new social structure of relationships that were refined by whose they were and who they were. So in his book, When the Church Was a Family, Joseph H. Hellerman takes this idea and he goes deep. Now we've actually given a copy of this book to all of our circle leaders and if you become a circle leader this year, you too can have a copy of this terrific book. All right? It's a bit of a pitch there, isn't it? But it is a very, very good book, and it's must-reading for any of our circle leaders. This is the must-read book. So I'm giving you a little bit of an insight today on what our circle leaders are walking around with in their hearts. So here's what Hellerman says. Hellerman says this. Number one. Oh, I see, I'll start with that, actually. He says this. The early Christians took their culture's strong group approach to family life. They appropriated it as the preeminent social model for their local Christian communities. And they lived with one another like Mediterranean brothers and sisters. And the early Christians turned the world upside down. When the church was a family, the church was on fire. May God help us recapture Jesus' vision for authentic Christian community today. And Hallerman proposes Four pieces that we all have to get comfy with if we want to do this. So, number one, we share our stuff with one another. Literally, the physical things that we have become shared and they become communal. So this can be financial help when someone needs it. It can be the hospitality of an open home and a spare bedroom. It can be the generosity around a table of a meal shared. It could be even right down to the loaning of possessions for getting jobs done or for leisure being enjoyed. The early church shared their possessions as such an extent that no one amongst them was in need. That's one of the markers of the early church. Not one amongst them was in need. Why? Because they were all sharing. 
Part two, Hellerman says, we share our hearts with one another. Psychological, uh, psycholo psychologists call this effective solidarity, effective solidarity. It's, it's an emotional attachment where the Holy Spirit weaves our hearts together as we spend time together and share life's wins and life's losses. The Apostle Paul shared his emotional bond regularly with his churches. When you open a New Testament letter and you see him opening up to them at the start, he is exclaiming to them how much he misses them, how much he loves them, how much he longs for them and desires to see them grow in Christ. He is tied to them in the heart. Number three, the third thing of a, of a marking of our life in the family is we stay, we embrace the pain and we grow up together. Now, now, we cannot be sucked into idealism here. Family stuff is hard stuff. We will experience as many failures as we do victories along the way. And as any therapist will tell you, anyone who leaves a family due to conflict often takes that dysfunctional relational strategy and behavior just to the next place they go. And they just do it all over again. <clears throat> we do it all over again, don't we? Surprise, surprise. We so what do we need to do? Well, rather than just leaving and taking our stuff with us every time, we need to stay and grow through it. Number four, the fourth mark, is that family is more about, more than just me, my husband and my wife and the kids. You know, in the ancient Mediterranean context, these first Christian communities were part of, the most dynamic um, part of relationship was not parent to child, but actually it was, it was sibling to sibling, brothers to brothers, sisters to sisters. The common bond in Christ's family is that of a brother and a sister. That's what it's often referred to. We, are, uh, we actually are our brother's keepers in a way. And so in Christian community, we're invited to view our family lives wider than just the natural brother or sister or kids or wife or husband we may have. We are invited to see a bigger scope and to see that actually we have the relational benefits of life with brothers and sisters together, siblings that are part of the same family. This is a high bar for an early Christian. And so to Hellerman in this alternative family, we share our stuff, we share our hearts, we stay and we grow, and we extend our life in siblings with each other. So this all sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? But there's one massive problem, one massive problem that pushes against this. We don't live in the first century highly communal culture of the Mediterranean, do we? We are living in 2023 Auckland, the digital Babylon moment that I sketched out earlier, and we have a highly individualized Western culture that we are swimming in every day. How's the water? <laughs> Individualism, that's how the water is. The king, free, uh, the king freedom in our life, the non-negotiable that most of us are walking around living in our culture right now is to choose what's best for us. We often take the path of what is most pleasurable, what is most convenient, what is most comfortable. Simply, we are driven by what will make us feel good. What will make us feel good? Anthropo anthropologists, 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 there it is, speak of people groups viewing this connectedness in the world in two types of categories. Category one, strong group. Category two, weak group. So a society with a strong group 
will make decisions based on what is best for that wider group. And a weak group view, if we have a weak group view, we will make decisions first and foremost on what's going to help us, the individual. So if we grew up in an Asian or African or Pacifica or Maori whanau, we've probably experienced the strong group worldview far more, and I'm making a very broad brushstroke, but I, it's, I think it's pretty true, that actually in Western families, it's usually the weaker group. Usually it's us against the world rather than a communal view. And um, we have been socialized and discipled by this hyper-individualism that is around us to such an extent that we can't actually imagine church as a family. When I say to you, this is meant to be an alternative family, most of us can't even picture that idea. For many of us, it's just not even seen like that. It's a thing I go to. I'm not, it's not, these are not brothers and sisters and a family to belong to. You know, for example, when we choose a church, think of them, I mean, some of you are visiting today and these are the metrics you might be using. I liked the worship. I didn't like the worship. I like the teaching. This guy's doing all right. He seems to know what he's talking about. No, he has no idea what he's talking about. Like These are the things we measure this on. I like that there's people like me. I like that there's people that look familiar to me. I like that there sounds like there's a comparable point of view here. Doesn't sound like it's going to get too uncomfortable soon. I like, I like, I like, I like, I like. Now, none of this is wrong. It's okay to like things about a community. It's okay to have things that we are for and things that we're excited about. But, but notice the driver here. I like is then mean, meaning this is why I will choose it. So here's the kicker. As much as we choose by what gives us pleasure, we will equally discard when the pleasure is gone. Right? When that pleasure isn't there anymore, discard, move on. You know, imagine a first century follower of Jesus who finds themselves suddenly living in this moment and they arrive today. And I find myself uncomfortable and squirming as I think about talking to this early first century believer about the idea of church shopping. Can you imagine how they just wouldn't be able, it'd be like an alien moment. They just wouldn't understand what we're talking about. They would not understand that we would make decisions on putting ourselves first when they are soaked in a world where you die to self and you start to pick up the picture of the family. We have some significant rewiring to do, don't we? This is how our world is forming us. So let's consider for a few more moments the vision of an alternative family that the scriptures give us. You know, to live in Jesus' vision of community, because it's so unfamiliar for us, for so many of us, we don't understand it, we need to practice community. And so to practice community, it is this discipline that we need to then choose. We need to practice it. And, and in, the, in, the script, uh, sorry, in, the, in the teachings of the, of the church, this is called fellowship. It's called the practice of fellowship. Getting together with each other. Being in fellowship stretches the muscle, gets us used to life and kinship with each other, submitting our lives to each other in relationship. It's a space so that we can learn what this feels like. And to practice that, it means commitment. That means sticking around. And according to M. Scott Peck, sorry, it's M. Scott Peck, not Scott M. Peck. That's around the wrong way there, but sorry. Any group of strangers coming together 
to create community will always go through four phases as they practice it together. You probably recognize some of this as we start to talk about it now. Number one, the first thing they notice is it starts as pseudo-community. So at this stage, it's like the honeymoon. Members of the community are extremely pleasant with one another. They avoid all disagreement. People want to be loving. They withhold some of the truth about themselves and their feelings in order to avoid conflict in the group. They even hold back individual preferences. They're minimized. They're unacknowledged. They're even ignored. The group may appear to be functioning on the outside, but actually intimacy and honesty are being crushed on the inside. Then the group moves to chaos. And in this cage, a conflict has arisen or a fear has emerged and individual differences have surfaced. And the group immediately moves into chaos because individual differences all come out into the open. The group attempts to obliterate them. It's a stage of uncreative and unconstructive fighting and struggle. It's not fun. Lots of us have got to this stage and actually when we get to this stage, we think this is broken and so we bail. Not realizing that actually it's the gateway to step through to find something even better. After chaos comes the stage emptiness. And in emptiness, this is the stage where the group finds acceptance together. The way through chaos to true community is through emptiness. It is the hardest and the most crucial stage of community development. It means members empty themselves, or to use Jesus' language, they die to themselves of barriers that are in the way. The most common barriers are expectations and preconceptions, prejudices, ideology, theology, solutions, the need to heal, the need to fix, the need to convert, the need to solve, the need to control. The stage of emptiness is ushered in as members begin to share their own brokenness, their defeats, their failures, their fears, their vulnerabilities, rather than acting like I've got it all together. As we enter that space, we then are knocking on the door of the last stage, the last stage being true community. And this is the stage of belonging. True community emerges as the group chooses to embrace not only the light, but the shadows of each other. True community is both joyful and it's also realistic. The transformation of the group from a collection of individual, individuals to true community requires all these little deaths along the way. But it is also a time of group death, group dying. And through this emptiness, the sacrifice will come true community. Members begin to speak of their most deepest and most vulnerable parts and others will just simply listen, not try and heal or fix or problem solve or work on the person as a project. They will just be there. The group will open up in lament and tears and sorrow together for the things that another might be carrying. The burden will become the group's burden. And the wins and the success and the joy of new news will burst through like an absolute beacon of hope. It's an extraordinary space to belong to. And to become a family is to move through those stages to become true community. And to that first century believer that I drew your attention to earlier, that is what being in a church was all about. It wasn't about staying at pseudo-community or giving up at the chaos. It was a journey to the genuine article, to moving towards true community. And so to become communal, we must commit to practicing 
community. So may we commit to this movement. May we see it as the work of God amongst us as he grows us into a truly alternative family. Now just to land this bit, and just in a moment, um, I'm going to finish today by talking to our pastor of communities. It'll be right to talk to her today, I think. But just before I get there, I have one last little piece from Dr. Hallerman's book that I think is very important uh, to point out. His opening page, literally straight out of the gate, chapter one. These are the words he starts with. And it's confronting. But I think we need to keep it in mind as we think about all the things I've just talked about today. Here's what he says. Please pay attention. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Remember what we said earlier about Dallas Willard's quote? To experience the kingdom of God, you need to get together with some people and try and do what Jesus called us to do. Here it's very similar. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. People who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the local church almost invariably grow in self-understanding and they mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to God and to their fellow human beings. This is especially the case for those courageous Christians who stick it out through the often messy process of interpersonal discord and conflict resolution. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible for genuine progress in the Christian life. So people who stay, grow. People who leave, do not grow. Like I said, this is page one. Buckle in for the rest of the read. But uh, Hallerman's right. Hallerman's right. Community as a practice is going to do something in our lives to form us. That is good. It will do a work. It will do the work of relational things. Relational things. And so if I could just rewrite that, I'd just rewrite it as this. All of those words, I'd just simply simplify it down to this. In becoming like Jesus, there is no lone wolfing allowed. There's no lone wolfing allowed. Make no mistake, do not kid yourself. You will grow in the way of Jesus mainly with a commitment to practicing life with others, with brothers and sisters. Alone or drifting in pseudo-community from place to place, you will not. We've said this for years at Central Vineyard when we're speaking about our life together. We're saying here in this space, these are the rows we find ourselves in. They're rows. But actually the deep life of following Jesus happens in circles. It, follows, it, it, it happens when we take the row and we turn it towards each other and we make a circle and we face each other and we do life together. It's crucial. It's crucial at making sure we are not lone wolfing this walk. And so to talk about that for just a few more minutes as we finish today, I want to invite Ella. Can you welcome Ella O, everybody? Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Hello. hello. Ella, um, an opening introduction just uh, for, for many of those who know you already. You disappeared for a while. Why, why did you disappear? What were you child. doing? You had a child. He's somewhere. No big deal. Yeah. 
Yep. And um, when you went off t- on maternity leave, you were doing one role with us, mm-hmm. which was, um, refresh my memory. Oh, goodness. Um, I've done a few things around this, these parts, haven't I? But um, I was with the lovely crew here with the Fletchers and a few others leading the 4pm gathering, mm-hmm. which is now Church at the Table. Um, I was in the gratis space yeah. and um, part of the staff team. Yeah. All the things we put our hands to. And when you were like, I think it's time to come back from maternity leave, we, we sort of said, hey, we feel like there's a new space here yeah. for you. Yeah. Do you want to tell people about that? Yeah, we've been thinking so much about formation and discipleship. We always have been in this church. You guys know it's in our um, vision statement, Pursuing Jesus, that is about um, forming our lives and to look like his. We've been thinking a lot about that, thinking um, a lot about circles and community was something that we... Um, put as like one of our stakes in the ground That's right. last year yep. as like we're going to invest into this so um, a space opened up for me to come in and um, like ride on the shoulders of all the wonderful work that Leash had been doing yeah, and um, and um, and the team and to just go like right what, what do we really believe for our community here and how we're going to like keep pushing forward into into life together in circles so mm. Yeah, became communities pastor. Communities yeah. pastor. Yeah. Are you liking the job? It's very much. It's awesome. um yeah, it's an honour actually. Like there are just the most amazing spaces that have been created around our church by such wonderful people and you open your homes and you open up yourselves to share with each other and walk together mm. through all those highs and lows that we've been talking about. Mm. Um and I just think just like quickly jumping on those Barna stats um, that we saw about like the resilient disciples. Like I see those stats and I see like names and faces and stories. And I'm sure that you guys do too. You know, you can think of the people that have walked away from their faith, have deconstructed to the point where they deconverted and, um, and like, man, there's so much grief in that. But then I look at that 8% um, resilient disciples and like, that's my hope for, um, us as a church that like in 10 years time we are here and we love God more and we love each other more and um, we have a resilience to our faith yeah so in circles Mm. which is a space that you're leading but also a space that we're really advocating for today what does a circle look like if someone's sitting here today and they're thinking what is this circle thing you keep talking about just really quickly what is that What, what, what does that language actually mean yeah, so um, like currently we've got small groups all around the city and they, they're pretty diverse. You know, they are, some of them are age and stage based, um, some of them neighbourhood based. Um, but as we've been talking about today, the thing that we are pushing towards is um, to focus on proximity for new circles that we're creating. So we want to have um, a circle that you can enter that is somewhat local to you. Um, and there you will join a group of you know, up to a dozen people that um, are across the various ages and stages and um, you come together regularly. Um, so, you know, ideally weekly, but you come together, you, you have food together. Um, you know, I'm looking at the communion table because when we eat together, that's a form of communion, right? Mm. So we, we come, we do that practice together, we pray together, we pray for each other, um, we learn from the scriptures, we, we provide resources to help us dig into this stuff, the teaching more through the week. Um, we care for each other, you know, that's, that's across spiritual, that's emotional, that's physical needs as well. We do what we can to join with each other. Um, what else do we do? We do a few things, but um, but like put really simply, uh, what we're trying to do is form proximal groups um, in a neighbourhood near you mm. <laughs> with people of various um, 
ages and stages, backgrounds, beliefs, opinions, all of that, um, to come together and start doing this thing to try walk towards being an alternative family. We just started a new circle at the end of last year with um, Holly and Leon, who are just over here, give us a wave. So we co-lead with them, and it's a neighbourhood one. So yeah. it's like literally, if you're in a neighbourhood, you're welcome to come along. And it's been fascinating, just only a few months in, to realise how quickly this thing is progressing. Because we've kind of got past some of those barriers of like whether we're all the same or not. It's like, that's not the reason we're getting together. We're actually getting to, we had a chat at our last circle just on Wednesday. Our opening chat together was, we were all comparing notes on how long it takes us to get to the motorway, now that it's post-COVID and there's more traffic on the road again, and like everyone's trying to figure out the best way to get to work in the morning. Because it's like, we're talking about our local areas, you know, and then, but then we yeah. move into the Jesus stuff, and we're talking yeah. deeply about the life we're like, sharing with him. It's a different framing, isn't it? Yeah. When you're like, we're coming together because we're local. Um, like, you know, our previous to today, pretty much, um, how you'd find a circle at CVs, you'd come and you'd look at our catalogue, and, yeah. you know, if you, and there's, you know, one for, um, you know, people mid-30s, young professionals, there's one for um, older women who are getting together, and, like, yeah. if that's, if you don't fit in those categories, then that's pretty hard, right? Like, yeah. um, we don't have one for young university students, so, like, automatically you might feel a bit isolated in that, so I guess by going towards being, um, proximal there is this like yeah I'm welcome there yeah. um, and, and we just want to make it really clear too like if you're already in a group that's got a life yeah. stage focus or that, that sort of stuff we're, we're not trying to pivot you over today no. what we're just trying to say is that from now on as a journey as a community this is how we're wanting to frame this up and, like, and walk towards this. Man, we appreciate that life has its seasons, eh? yes. and like we all need people that have experienced something that we are experiencing. So um, there is there is time and there is place for um, joining with a few people that are um, going through what you're going through mm. and and walking that together. So, man, we acknowledge that um, and we bless that, and um, when we're just saying like what we're gonna as, as a team, what we're putting our energy towards is um, is this kind of proximal focus. Yeah. Um, just build the bones for that to welcome yeah. people into that but if you're doing that other stuff like keep going yeah yeah press in so on that like what we are going to do mm -hmm. do you want to just talk to people about if they're sitting here today thinking I want to get into a circle yep. or even some people might be sitting here thinking I want to lead that space I want to start yeah. to walk towards making that space happen can you just tell me what the next steps are? Yep. So, um, so yeah, there has been a bit of a step change here. Um, we want people to be like, um, oh, we've long had this uh, this thing in our team to be clear is to be kind, <laughs> and yeah. so we want to be super clear about if you're joining a circle, if you're going to be leading a circle, we want to be super clear with what the invite is, so that you know okay, I'm ready to accept that, I'm ready to step in. Um, and so the best way that we know how to do that is to um, have a, um, an interest event that you can come to if you want to join a circle or if you want to lead a circle. So you'll hear about um, a little bit of this kind of stuff, what's our vision for community, um, how does that play out in circles, what do, what do we commit to? Um, because all good things in life take a commitment, don't That's they? Right. Yep. Um, and so... We're going to do this just twice a year. There's going to be two two on-ramps per year, and the first one's coming up really soon. So um, March 26th, that's uh, mm -hmm. Sunday. So a few Sundays from now, um, after this gathering at our facility on Great North Road, Community Hall, we're just going to have an event there for people that are wanting to join a circle in this, this half of the year. And... Um, and also, if you're wanting to lead a circle, um, maybe a quick note on that, and you, you can help me with this, but... Um, Man, we're not look, looking for perfect followers of Christ because none of us are there, eh? Um, we're very much on the journey. Um, we are looking for people that um, are mature 
in their faith and their emotional health and willing to open up a space to embrace others. Yeah. Um, it's not who has the biggest lounge, who's best at baking cookies to welcome people, mm. or um, like those are wonderful things and giftings that people have, but that's not the main thing. It's that you love Jesus and you, and you want to help others love Jesus more. Yeah. Um, and because... Kiwis are really bad, and maybe Christian Kiwis even worse at saying, like, that's me. Um, can I just encourage you guys, um, if there's somebody here that's, like, next to you or across from you, and you're like, man, they have seen me before, they've encouraged me in my faith, um, they've made room for me, could you shoulder tap them? And, you know, it's their decision whether they say yes or no or never. Um, but could you shoulder tap them and just say, like, I think you'd be awesome at holding this kind of yeah. space for others. Like, would you consider being a circle leader? So that's my little task for everyone. Shoulder tap someone that you think would be wonderful. Mm. No. You'd be <laughs> really good at it. Thanks. Yeah. Do you just want to hear that last slide there, Dave? So if you are sitting here today and you want more information... The pathway is, um, oh, I don't know if I've got it there, but centralvineyard.org slash circles. Slash circles. Yeah. So um, and there's events on there. Click, register. Um, we'd love to see you. We'll keep reminding you of this next week and mm. in our newsletter. We'll That's remind right. you. But um, I'd love to talk to anybody that has questions. Um, these guys can also answer your questions. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Oh, thank you, Ella. And thank you for leading this space so carefully, thoughtfully creatively and I think boldly as we go into the future. So thank you so much. Can we give Ella a round of applause, please? Etu, everyone stand with me and let me bless you today as we go out into our lives. So this is the last piece of this, of this little summer series. So Lord, we, we come to you and we say we put our attention on you. You are the one we are following. Jesus, you are the great rabbi of our lives and so our attention is on you we are attentional people focused on you following your footsteps following the way you've done things following your teachings following your heart following your instructions so lord come into your transformative work in our lives we welcome the transformation of your your kingdom by your spirit come and and do what you are faithful to complete the work you have started, come and do it in our lives, we pray. Lord, lead us in mission. Lead us into being a city, uh, sorry, being a church that blesses our city. Lead us in being a people who know our neighbors well, love our neighbors. Lead us in being people who are the best colleagues to work with at work. Lead us in being compassionate and caring and courageous. Lead us in being people who see a need and fill it. And lead us in being people of open lives. And Lord, we pray today off the back of this last little piece of being communal. Lord, would you tie us together as brothers and sisters? Lord, tie this church together in greater ways. After such a disconnected time, after such a disconnected moment of history, would you tie us together into commitment of being brothers and sisters together? Tie our hearts that we would know and love each other well. Lord, open our hands to our resources that we would share well amongst each other. Lord, help us to stay and embrace the pain and grow up well together. And Lord, would you, would you help us to be able to truly live as brothers and sisters, we pray. May we be able to look around this group, this community, and know we are part of something that is truly a family. 
Grow us in that direction, we pray. Lord, we have so far to go, but grow us in that, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we ask these things. We set out on these things. We are desiring these things. In Jesus' name, amen.